and uh, we love them an awful lot. At least I know I do. Uh, I won't speak for you. <laughs> I'm sure we all do. So, uh, yeah, just keep them in your prayers. An elderly American lady had always wanted to travel abroad. Warning, there's a ton of cheesy jokes this morning. Not a ton, but like they're not like they're they're knee slappers. Um, an elderly American lady had always wanted to travel abroad. Now that she was getting on in years, she thought that she would really like to do so before she died. But until now, she'd never even been out of the country. So she began by going to going in person to the passport office and asking how long it would take to get one. You must take the loyalty oath first. This was in the U.S. Responded the clerk. Raise your right hand, please. The old gal, but so beautiful. She was crisp, fresh, but old. Like a well-seasoned, dry-aged steak. Um, moving right along, the old gal raised her hand. The first question, do you swear to defend the Constitution of the United States against all its enemies, domestic or foreign? The old lady's face turned pale, and her voice trembled as she asked in a small voice, Do I have to do all that by myself? Thank you. So, most of us would know of a gentleman. He was a sidekick, right man, second in command of Israel. He was Aaron, the, the high priest. And I think whenever people think of the priesthood, Aaron is one of the first people that would come to mind as he was really the first high priest. Not the last, but he was the first high priest. And the high priest we know from uh, the Old Testament was central to everything that happened in and around the the tabernacle. And so thus God made it so that everything about how he dressed was distinctive. I could have put up a picture on the slide uh, if it was Pastor Andrew. He's good like that. Me, I like to be more descriptive, so we have to use our imagination. It uh, makes church a little more fun, right? So... Picture this. This is what a high priest looked like. It was, they were pretty fancy. So all priests wore white linen robes and turbans, but it, into a, in addition to that, high priests wore this blue robe that went over their white robe. So they were really into, like, layers. I kind of almost copied that. I have a white shirt and then a blue shirt. It wasn't unintentional. It wasn't intentional. just realized that, man... I'm almost dressed like a high priest. At the bottom of that robe, there were bells. I'm missing those, sorry. And pomegranates. Uh, over the blue robe, the priest wore an ephod. And it was like an apron that was 
made from red, blue, purple cloth with gold strands running through it. I got red. I'm missing the blue and gold. On his shoulders, he had two gold engraved plates with six names of the tribes of Israel on each. So six plus six is all 12. And then on his chest was a breastplate with the 12 precious stones. Each stone had engraved in it the name of one of the 12 tribes. And in that way, it was symbolizing that the priest bore the nation of Israel on his shoulders and wore them over his heart. And then attached to the head garment, the turban, on his forehead was a gold plate engraved with the words, Holy is the Lord. Pretty uh, pretty significant um, detail that went into the garments of the high priest. And if you read, these were all details given by God, uh, an exact detail of what the high priest was to wear. The high priest was the priest. Everything that happened in the tabernacle, as I said, it revolved around him and his ministry before God. There was a lot of things that had to be done in the tabernacle. Just to name a few, there was daily sacrifices that had to be offered to God between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. There were knives that had to be sharpened, utensils that had to be cleaned, wood to be cut and stacked uh, for fire, ashes to be collected after a fire, animal waste to be removed. That was everybody's favorite. And that doesn't even mention the labor that went into packing and unpacking the tabernacle and everything that was involved in the uh, practices of the tabernacle and lugging them from one place to the next place because, we, as we know, Israel, during that time when they received or when they created the tabernacle, was very transient, moving through the desert. Yes, the high priest was considered the priests before God. But we see in the scriptures that there was no way he could begin to do all of that labor, everything that was required on his own. And so in Numbers 3, God tells Moses, bring the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron, the priest to assist him. That's found in 3 verse 6. Now, what that meant was that Aaron and his sons did the work of the priesthood. So, specifically, they offered the sacrifices. They took care of the items that were inside of the tabernacle. They lit the lamps. They burnt the incense. They changed the bread on the table of showbread. But there were so many other things that needed to be done. And so God gave the entire tribe of Levi, it's a lot of people, I forget how many it is, but like we're talking tens of thousands of people made up the tribe of Levi. Did you know that? I didn't, like, Numbers is a really boring book to me, and so like I've breezed through it. Um, I 
I don't like math, so it adds up. <laughs> but uh, there are, like, Levi, I always pictured it. This is, like, a recent discovery. Like, only within the last three months, I realized how huge the tribe of Levi was, um, as opposed to just being Aaron and his sons on just, like, a handful of people, literally. And then all of a sudden, God gives them, gives them Aaron and his family, this entire huge tribe of Levi in order to help the high priests get the jobs of the tabernacle done. And so, just skipping through it quickly, the tribe of Levi was made up of a few different families. And one family of the tribe of Levi was known, uh, or was called the Kohathites. If anyone knows me, we've gone through this before. I'm really good with really complicated Hebrew names. I'm basically a pro at saying them. And so that family, their job was to take care of the ark, the table, the candlesticks, and the altar. And when Israel moved, which was a lot, like pastors' families, their job was to carry all of those items. Another uh, Levitical family was known as the Gershonites. Their job was to carry the curtains, the hangings, the ropes uh, of the sanctuary. And then the third family of the tribe of Levi was known or is called the Merites. And their job was to pack and maintain the boards, the bars, sockets, and pillars that held up the tabernacle. I, uh, in preparing this message, I read one commentator that noted that the Kohathites essentially carried, quote, the important items of the tabernacle the ark, the altar, and thus the Goshan, the other two families, were given the less important responsibilities. You know, I wrote their names in, and I pronounced them, like, I don't know how many times in the last four days, because I was like, I am going to the first time on Sunday morning be able to sound like a pro of pronouncing all Hebrew names. And I left their names in the message instead of just writing the other families because I'm like, I can do it. I can't. And so thus the other families were given the, quote, less important responsibilities. And uh, when I read that, I thought, that's just crazy. The less important duties. I don't know if the commentator realized this, but I hope you realize this yourself. Everything about, within, around, to do with the tabernacle was holy. There was nothing lesser about anything. Serving was serving was serving when it came to dealing with the tabernacle. The entire tabernacle along with everything to do with it, was exact in its design, in its patterns as given by God to Moses on the mountain. Every single board, curtain, rope 
was an exact copy of the dimensions given. There was nothing haphazard about anything to do with the tabernacle. The entire tabernacle, in fact, stood for heavenly truths. It represented the total and true tabernacle that was in heaven. So when you consider that, there's no insignificant roles to carry out within or around the earthly tabernacle. The entire tabernacle, as I said, was holy unto God. Henceforth, logic carries along to say that every responsibility associated was valued by God. And the reason I'm telling you all this is because you need to understand that in order to think for things to run smoothly in the tabernacle, there was a lot of people. Like I said, it was a huge, Levi, the tribe of Levi was huge. It took a lot of people to make things run smoothly. It took a lot of people to take responsibility for different activities associated with worship. Lots of people had to work behind the scenes, and each one of those individuals had a job that made it possible for others to worship. So yes, in those times, Aaron was and his sons, because his sons followed after him as high priests. Um, the high priest was considered the priest. And without him... Nothing else mattered, truly. I'm um, not trying to devalue the rest, but without that high priest, nothing else mattered. The tabernacle, the ceremonies, it, it just didn't function as it should. But in the Old Testament, the high priest was either Aaron or one of his sons, and they couldn't do it on their own. It just was an impossibility. That was the way things functioned with the tabernacle within the Old Testament. And then something happened in the New Testament. There was this shift in the way that things functioned. Let me... I haven't done interactive time in a while. I know you guys have missed it. Who do we have as the high priest now? That's right. For once, that typical Sunday school answer of Jesus is actually the right answer. Hebrews Chapter 6, verse 20 tells us, Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf into the inner sanctuary. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I got that one. It's one out of four names. If anyone's keeping score. One of the major reasons Jesus came was to be our high priest. He came 
to offer thank God the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And now as our high priest, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for him for them. Found in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Jesus is, no matter what different religions or different beliefs may say, Jesus is our, your high priest. Here's a question. Do you think that he could do everything that has to be done in worship? Do you think he could do everything that has to be done in worship? It's a trick question, warning you. It's a trick question because we would, where things have gone so far, you would think that the answer should be no. But the answer is he's Jesus. Of course he's able to. He's Jesus. Uh, could he? S who could sing better than Jesus? I mean, we have one. We have one that can sing better than Jesus. Who could preach better than Jesus could? He could come down and pass out communion in probably half the time that we could, I'm sure. Not to mention Jesus is would be today the most incredible witness or evangelist in ways that would blow our minds. But he's the high priest. And so, yeah, he would be really good at all those things. Absolutely. But if you'll allow me to use this term, those aren't his jobs. Just as Aaron was given the tribe of Levi to help him in his ministry, so also Jesus, our high priest, has given the church, been given the church to do his work. What's the church? That's right. Colossians chapter 1 verses 18 declares, it doesn't just say, it declares, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. We have been given Jesus as our high priest, as our leader, as our guide and chief. And in fact, it's you and I who have been given responsibility of being his priests in this world to this community. Peter writes, you also, like living stones, are being built into spiritual houses to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice, sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And then in verse 9, same chapter, it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that, here's the action point, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into wonderful light. Just in case you didn't catch the action point that started, he did it was he did this so that you can that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into wonderful light. I think most of us would agree, especially closer to the time of salvation, we really agree with this. That act of salvation that's crazy exciting like that feeling of knowing you're secure in salvation i mean that's why so many people when they're saved they just can't help but talk about it because it's exciting coming from darkness into light think about that blind man uh who jesus put mud in his eyes and spit. Man, that was worth it. Like, that was worth it to the blind man to have another man spit and filthy mud in his eyes so that he could see. And was that dude excited when uh, first things were a little blurry and he thought men were trees? Like, even that alone, I'm sure, would have been enough for that dude. It was like, man, I can see a little bit. That's crazy excited. And he probably would have gone away, hit over heels, and wouldn't have been able to get him to shut up. How much more so should you and I be continually excited about the fact that we have been delivered from sin? Does that mean we sin no more? Of course not. But we have this amazing gift that has been given to us that we're not deserving of in any way. I think that should, throughout our life, not just within the few years of salvation when we're the most excited, uh, most easily excited, throughout our life, it should cause us to want to take action. Hebrews chapter 13 Verse 15 says that we offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. And Romans 12 tells us in verse 1 that we need to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. We, not me, not just she or he, we are called to be the priests of God. We are called, each and every single one of us, regardless of where you're sitting in this place or where you are located in uh, the world, watching online, we are a part, when salvation happens, we join a godly priesthood. We have been set aside by Jesus to do the ministry of the kingdom, to do the ministry as his church. 
We can serve communion. That's something we can do. We can baptize people in Christ. That's something we all can do. We can teach and preach as God leads you. That's something we all can do. Notice those three specific things that I listed. Those are things that typically we say, oh, that's for the pastor to do. Or that's for the board and deacons and the assigned ushers to do. That's that's their job because they have something special. I don't understand the logic fully behind why people believe that. But people people do believe that. I'm, I'm not crazy in saying that, right? Like that's a common conception of people in the church. But everyone is able to serve communion. Everyone can baptize people in Christ. Everyone is capable, regardless if you believe it in this moment, everyone is capable of teaching and preaching the Word of God. Now, I'm not trying to ignore the fact that there are different functions within the church for which not all of us are qualified, not all of us are called, to that specific thing. All of us are called. It just depends on what we're called to. Um, I'm not trying to ignore Ephesians chapter 4 where it says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor and the teachers. The responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. I'm not trying to ignore that, but you'll notice within that there is a number of things listed. There's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Five things listed there. So amongst those five things, one, at least one of these things, you're called to. You know that? At least one of those five things God has called you to, and you are able to do those and function in those one of those five areas. Now, that's not an excuse to say, well, I'm only called to be a pastor and fulfill the role of pastor. So um, being a part of a church uh, cleaning day, that's outside of my pastoral uh, calling. So I can't do that. Or um, I'm called to be a teacher. So uh, going to serve at the skate park and sell stuff to kids that's an evangelist job. So I'm not called, no, that's crazy. That's crazy. It's really, it'd be a really convenient excuse. And we humans like excuses as to why it's someone else's job, why it's not me to do it. Man, when we had the evangelist training weekend uh, back a couple weekends ago, um, there was 21 people here. And I'm pretty sure some of those people wouldn't say that uh, out of those five things that evangelism is their primary calling. But we're all called to share the word of God. And so in order for 
the word of God to go forth, it requires more than just one or two. Right? Do you believe that? So we may all have different functions in the body of Christ, just as in the traditional tabernacle, the families of Levi all handled and did different parts of the tabernacle. But in the eyes of Jesus, we are all equally called to the priesthood. And there is nothing within the priesthood that needs to go undone. It requires every single one of us. And requires each and every one of us to be flexible and willing. A Sunday school teacher was teaching her children the benefits of unselfishness. She concluded by saying, the reason you are to go in this world, children, is to help others. The reason you are to go is to help others. One little girl piped up after a moment of silence. Well, then if it's me, why are all the others here? Jesus declares this to you. You are all here to minister, to serve as a part of his priesthood. The reason you're here in this church building is to serve God by serving others. One of the things that makes me, and I say one because there's many, one of the things that makes me so proud to call Evangel Bathurst my home and to call you guys, my family, to say that I'm a pastor of this church is it's clear to me over these last almost three years that I've been here how much many of you understand this and seeing the growth in this area. We see people that... I see people, some of you wouldn't be aware of everything that goes on, but people that visit the sick. Um, just a few months ago, we collected over 2,000 cans of canned soup for the food bank. Absolutely blew the director's mind, so much so that he asked me to hold on to it because he had to figure out where he was going to put it all. And then he said that was going to easily a year. Man, the support of missions uh, is a long-lived part of what's ingrained in the body of Evangel. We're seeing as we grow in the area of serving the teens of our community, we have Bible studies, men's prayer, uh, connect groups where these things are just growing. Uh, the way that this church leads and uh, enters into the different aspects of worship, it's incredible. The way that our, our church serves the children of this community through Kids Jam and Backyard Kids, the way that uh, prayer ministry is growing in this church, and, and the focus that's, that we have on it, seeing and hearing stories of even preceding 
the evangelism weekend, but the way that you all witness to others in your places of work, Walmart, man, the ministry that Bob and Della, I'm sorry for singling you out, I know you don't like it, the ministry that Bob and Della have at Walmart, they're called, I'm not putting words in their mouth, they'll say it themselves, they are called to Walmart. And the impact that couple have been having as they're courageous in their faith and sharing on people in Walmart, just complete non-believers coming up and asking to be prayed for, or can you pray for uh, a loved one or a friend who is, is sick? It's just not... It's not natural for people to do that unless an unnatural God is working through you and you're being obedient. And I bless you guys for having the courage in such a secular, I've been in that Walmart and I've heard the way some of those employees talk, for you to be so obedient. And I'm sure... You guys are both very qualified individuals. You can do a lot. And there'd be easier things for you to do and probably make a lot better money. But obeying God in that way, wow, it's amazing. And so, as you can see, I'm so proud to be a pastor of this church and, and to see the way that we're growing. But the question is, maybe even you find yourself asking this now, or at times you find yourself asking this question, how will I know when I'm doing enough? How will I be sure if I've given enough of my life to God as his priest. There was a person who was considering this and he looked at it this way and at a prayer meeting he shared that he was thinking about tithing and it seemed to him that uh, not only should he tithe with his finances, but he should also tithe with his time. And so he had got down to the hard facts and figured out about how much time he owed the Lord. I'll come back to, that's why I quoted owed, because I'll come back to that in a sec. And the way he figured it, there was 168 hours in a week, and the 10th of that should be 16.8 hours. Then he figured that he spent each week in church and saw that he still had about an hour and 20 minutes left each day. So he divided that up into two 40-minute periods, 40 minutes for Bible study, 40 minutes of prayer each day. Very scientific. Such a great formula. He's figured it out. He's made it. He is now the perfect Christian because he's come up with the, f obviously I'm being facetious. 
I want you to be clear. I, I want, not I want, I don't want you. I want to be clear on something. Those are targets that this guy set for himself, and I'm not trying to slam him or put him down um, for what he chose to do. But we shouldn't do in some parts of life, yeah. Like if it's your job, then you're. It's really easy because all of us are busy. Some people just like to complain about it more. No one's actually, well, maybe if you're retired, someone might be busier than you. That's not true, man. The amount of retired people that I feel like they somehow have more to do than me, and I'm a pastor, like, that's crazy. That was me trying to infer that I somehow am more busy than the average person. Everybody likes to complain about how busy they are. Usually those that have the time to complain about how busy they are actually aren't that busy. They just want you to think they're busy (laughs) so that you'll just... Leave them alone and not ask them to do something. I just have too much going. I'm so tired. Dude, I have four children. Don't talk to me about how tired you are. But seriously, take time. Stop. Self-evaluate. Even go as far. Seriously, go as far as keep a diary of your time. How are you investing your time? What are you investing your time in record it find out in uh, the realm or sorry in the length of a week of a month like do it long term how am i spending my time how much of my time am i actually surrendering to god because i think many of us if we were to actually stop and self-examine in that way we'd realize this is why god's not moving in my life this is why we're not seeing revival in my church. Because the revivals of history, let's just take the most well-known one, Azusa Street. That didn't happen because someone decided randomly that they wanted to spend 10% of their time praying and seeking God. I'm going to take this one guy and said, oh, I'm going to take 16.8 hours. That entire 16.8 hours, uh, I'm going to get on my knees and pray. Now, Azusa Street happened because people intentionally self-examined and said, God, forgive me for not surrendering to you. All that matters is you. And they put aside all the conveniences and entertainments and the things that it's okay to enjoy. God wants us to enjoy life. But they said, God, nothing else matters but you. You are now number one. And they intentionally gathered together and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And through intentional action and actually organization, We like to think like moving of the Holy Spirit is like this random thing that just is happening. Sure, there is random encounters 
uh, with God and the Holy Spirit. But a revival is not going to just randomly happen, folks. It's not just going to be a chance thing. We're going to see revival in our community when as a church, meaning the whole hundred and... I can't remember, but it's like at least 140 that uh, are attenders of our church. Um, And then it's 80-some that are members of the church. All say, I surrender to you, God. I am going to be intentional in the act of being a part of your holy priesthood. And it's not going, revival won't look like Azusa Street. Revival won't look like the things that you picture in your mind's eye of the outpouring of Holy Spirit in the past. It's going to be in a new way. And it's going to be dramatic. It's been described multiple times as a tide. There's nothing subtle about the tide in the Bay of Funday. It's dramatic. And it's going to be, man, it's going to be incredible. As I close, I want to draw attention to the fact that in the Old Testament, God had people initiated as priests with this unique ceremony. According to Exodus 29, they were to have a sin offering made on their behalf. They were to be washed with water and they were to be clothed with new garments. And that's interesting. It's a lot like the way that we become Christians. And then the New Testament came along and Jesus became our sin offering. That cleansed us of responsibility, eternal responsibility for sins we've been washed in the waters we're baptized and then because of what Jesus did we become clothed with the righteousness of God the Christian writer Polythus, who was writing in about 200 AD, described baptism in Rome. Candace took off their clothes, were baptized three times after renouncing Satan and affirming the basic teachings of faith and put on new clothes. Then they joined the rest of the church for the church supper. What they were trying to get people to understand was that in becoming Christians, they were putting off the old garments of sin 
being buried in the waters with Jesus, and they were putting on new clothing, symbolizing the new garments Jesus gave them when they were born again. The Old Testament priests became priests because they were related to the high priest. Hear this. The Old Testament priests became priests because they were related to the high priest. In the same way, we become Christians because Jesus saved us and we are become a part of Jesus' family. We become priests within the church because spiritually we become related to the highest of high priests. Galatians tells us in chapter 4, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his ear. Each of us, we're called 100% everyone listening at home you are called Jesus in John 21 appears to his disciple beside the sea of Galilee his brothers brothers from another mother and uh, they were out fishing it's an interesting encounter for some of them. It was a little bit of deja vu as Jesus was there on the shore. And so they came in for breakfast. And then Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. God says to you today, do you love me more than all these other things? And Jesus replied to him, then feed my sheep. Jesus repeated, repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? so easy to get lip service, isn't it? So easy to say, I want to see the lost saved on Sunday morning when someone gets up and is exhorting 
Do you want to see the lost? Yes, I do. Then what are you doing about it? How are you serving as this godly priesthood? And so Jesus wasn't convinced. So he asked him again. And then Peter said, Peter replied, Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus replied. And then a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Saying to the church, if you really love me, don't just confess it with your lips. Because if you truly love me, then you will follow my commandments. If you truly love me, your act of surrender will be an actual action. Sure, I can say a lot of things. But then I have to go do. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. It stings being called out. It stings realizing, especially maybe if we're at a point where we said, I've been a Christian for 30 years. And then to hear Jesus saying, do you love me? And continually questioning because he's not seeing the action that goes behind that. That stings, and that's really uncomfortable. And I think that's why it hurt Peter. Because Jesus could see his heart. He knew what was behind those words. And Jesus said one more time, then feed my sheep. I don't know if Jesus was actually angry, but if you're having to repeat yourself a few times, those of us that are parents, we know that it gets a little aggravating. Feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you like. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch your hands out and others will dress you and take you where you want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Jesus isn't necessarily going to tell you how you're going to die or the manner within you're going to die, which was talking about there. But Jesus is telling every single one of us, if we take the time to surrender and listen, he is telling every single one of us how he desires for us to live our lives. He's telling every single one of us how to be a part of his priesthood, his holy priesthood the things that he desires for us to do beyond just one of those five functions within the church. Yes, he's 
wanting to tell you that also. Hear him. But he's asking for you to step out. Feed my sheep. Evangel Bathurst, feed my sheep. They're so hungry. Bathurst is in such need. I believe there's a time of financial prosperity that's going to come again to Bathurst. But I'm convinced that that's not going to come until we see spiritual prosperity starting with us and a result pouring like a tide into Bathurst. Please stand. Bow your heads just so that other people have privacy. God's trying to speak to you. This message wasn't for just a couple people. Some messages can be like that. But I know this one isn't. This message is for all of Evangel Bathurst. Me included. How are you Investing your time as God's holy priest. Are you surrendering all to God? God wants to speak to you. Father is trying to get your attention. He says the harvest is ripe, but where are my harvesters? than just a few. I'm not going to do an altar call this morning. But I just want us, before we rush out to uh, the rest of our day, I want you to quietly, right where you are, Put your hands in a position of your body in a position of surrender. Position that shows openness. Pray in your mind right now. God, I surrender to you. And allow God to speak to you right now. Just listen to him, church. Listen to what he's 
trying to say to you. Thank you for choosing me to be a part of your plans here in Bathurst. God, I thank you that you've called each and every single person that is part of this Evangel Bathurst family. Father, I pray that you would Enable us to hear you. Enable us to have the courage to be honest with ourselves, with you, in the area of how we are investing our time for your kingdom. And that your, your Holy Spirit would give courage step out as part of your holy priesthood. Father, thank you so much for how this family has been ministering to one another and this community. And I pray that sincerely pray that we would see expansion within this family of those that are entering into their priesthood and becoming activated. And I thank you for that, God. I thank you for the lives that you're touching and that you're going to touch. I thank you